Welcome to the Populist Perspective. I'm Tomas Reichatz. Normally, I would just start in with the news, but since this is the inaugural episode, let me tell you a bit about what this is. This is a show airing every two weeks discussing the political climate from a progressive populist perspective, as the name suggests. Each episode, I'll dive into four different news stories, deconstructing each and giving my opinions. You can stream old episodes on YouTube, Spotify, or at cctvcambridge.org. And with that, let's get into the news. First, the 2024 election. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has dropped significantly in the polls from 37% in January down to only 19% today. Uh, this is compared to failed former president Donald Trump, who has risen seven points, uh, or sorry, seven percentage points from 43% up to 50%, uh, which is staggering, especially when you consider that at this time in 2016, Trump was polling at only 20% nationwide. And the fact that he was able to pull off a victory in 2016 with only 20% uh, really shows that this 50% that he has now is really uh, going to help him cruise uh, right into the victory, assuming that nothing goes wrong. Uh, and um, it, uh, the effects of this on the uh, general election uh, seem to be, for most pundits, that this is going to help Joe Biden. Uh, a couple polls suggest otherwise. There have been a couple polls that have uh, seemed to show that Trump may win in a head-to-head -head matchup against Biden due to uh, effects of the economy, uh, other criticisms of the Biden presidency. But uh, really, this is definitely uh, the better of two options when you consider how Ron DeSantis would uh, go up against Joe Biden. Probably pretty easy victory for him here which is why it's good that uh, we have the best possible outcome we could have uh, in this moment for Joe Biden. Um, the, another effect of this may be uh, candidates such as former Vice President Mike Pence, Senators Tim Scott and uh, Nikki Haley having a much better chance uh, moving into the greater percentage points right now. All are around or below 10% in uh, those polls and so what we're going to probably see very soon is as DeSantis' campaign dwindles, uh, some of those points are going to go back to Trump, but also we may see a new front runner, or sorry, or second in line to become the front runner enter very soon. And that could make this race way more competitive if somebody like Tim Scott takes the place of Ron DeSantis. Uh, we've seen from uh, the way he conducts himself, how he talks, that he is uh, much more charismatic than Ron DeSantis and uh, would have a much greater uh, appeal in a national election than Ron DeSantis does. Um, other effects of this, this may show uh, how loyal Trump's cult-like base is. Uh, the more and more that uh, um, we see the sort of flocking to Donald Trump, despite everything that's been happening uh, in the news, it really, it really is just showing that nothing, no one can really stop uh, the absolute forceful yet simultaneously train wreck of a candidacy that uh, Donald Trump has been displaying. Uh, really, the effects of this are numerous, but uh, really the fact that after all this time, nobody has left Trump's side in a significant way really shows that there is always the possibility that DeSantis dropping out may not uh, move any other candidate all that far up. In fact, it may just leave the door wide open for Donald Trump. So that's a second possibility. 
Um, and, uh, you know, one reason that we, you know, besides uh, the cult-like uh, personality, you know, swarming around from his base, we've also seen in previous elections, though not in many, but in several, that uh, um, candidates coming back from previous elections tend to do very well. We've seen this in 1892, 1900, 1956. So we're, we're cherry picking a little bit here. We have to go pretty far back, but uh, it still shows that uh, these candidates can have a surprising appeal even when they've lost previously. And so uh, coming back uh, to fight again, uh, you know, name, rec name recognition, of course, uh, is going to give some candidates like Donald Trump much more leverage in their primaries than they may otherwise have. Um, this also helps uh, Trump's uh, boost, especially here, that you may not see in other candidacies because of all the attention around the big lie. Of course, the idea that Donald Trump won the 2020 election despite there being no evidence for that. Um, a lot of that comes from uh, the sort of lies that he directly perpetrated got a lot of other conservatives to help bring forward. And now, when you see this primary, uh, the results of those years and years and years of pushing this big lie are going to be many more people that may have previously said, well, I don't want to vote for a loser, right? And they're now going to go to Donald Trump and say, well, this man is not a loser. This man uh, had his job taken away from him uh, unjustly and unfairly, and so I'm going to vote for him no matter what, even if he did, in the technical sense, lose. I, you know, they don't think he lost, and so that will give him a benefit that you wouldn't see with other uh, presidents that lost in you know that kind of a race. Uh, all in all, um, it's looking pretty good for Donald Trump. However, uh, as uh, Ron DeSantis falls, the second place is getting murkier and murkier. So uh, I think the upcoming debates are probably going to be where. A lot of this straightens out, clears up. Uh, we may end up seeing, uh, out of all the candidates, uh, Vic Ramaswamy, another one that I forgot to mention, who's also doing surprisingly well uh, in the last couple weeks. Um, we'll probably we'll see one of them start to gain momentum, start to gain hope in the polls. Otherwise, Trump is just going to be dominating all of them. But uh, there's going to be more on that in the next couple weeks. And uh, I look forward to seeing more of uh, what those effects are going to be. Next, the Tel Aviv demonstrations. Uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has been cracking down on dissent in Israel. Uh, this dissent is, of course, uh, involving his anti-democratic policies, especially surrounding a judicial overhaul. Uh, just earlier today, hours ago, I think, uh, the uh, Israeli parliament officially voted to certify that policy position, which is very, very scary, uh, you know, a major, major uh, symptom of democratic backsliding is these kind of judicial overhauls that uh, Netanyahu has been trying to bring forward. And uh, as a lot of people have been, you know, justly protesting this overhaul, we've seen uh, we, we've seen a lot of quashing of those protests. We've seen a lot of sort of forceful stopping uh, a lot of the sort of policy of doing away with these protesters, politically at least, trying to get them, you know, out of the streets using forceful means to do that. 
And uh, it's very, very sad when you see what's happened to Israel, that, th that this is where they're stooping. They're, they're down to this new low, uh, Netanyahu especially. But um, really, the saddest thing about all of this is that the U.S. has stood by Prime Minister Netanyahu while this happens. We have, we, we have not in any way tried to help these protesters fighting for a democratic Israel. And for those few U.S. politicians who have tried to help this, they've been, uh, they've been blacklisted, really. People like uh, Pramila Jejapal have faced pushback for misuse, misusage of words. I think she said that uh, Israel was a racist state, which, you know, is objectionable, but uh, really missing the real point of what she was saying. And, by the, and she also apologized for the way in which she worded that statement. But people are purposely not paying attention to what the main point here should be, which is that Israel is purposely trying to undergo democratic backsliding, and we are standing by them as this happens. They are trying to stop democratic progress from being initiated. Instead, they are going to force down their country uh, this sort of oligarchic system that Netanyahu wants to impose, and we're not going to try and stop that. We're going to let it happen, which is very, very sad. Um, and uh, this is you know, even more evidenced by uh, the U.S. Congress inviting Israeli President Herzog to uh, address Congress, um, which, especially at a time like this, is completely absurd that we're even thinking about doing something like this. It shows, you know, once, once we've reached this level of bringing in the president of Israel while the Israeli government is cracking down on its citizens, we are, we are not just standing by them, we are actively supporting them. We are actively supporting this regime that wants to stop democracy uh, from being fully expressed in their country. And, um, you know, you've seen, of course, a lot of conservative hypocrisy, uh, especially when uh, they love to scream and yell about dead communists, you know, uh, love to scream about Hugo Chavez, but then they'll ignore Netanyahu, they'll ignore Turkish President Erdogan, they'll ignore Viktor Orban, the Prime Minister of Hungary, uh, all of which are conservative oligarchs that uh, are very oh so conveniently ignored. Uh, meanwhile, the dead communists, the dead communists, those are the ones that we really need to focus all our attention on. You know, uh, they're the ones who really uh, should be attacked here. And then the victim is, of course, people like Netanyahu. Uh, you know, uh, and the trend that we've seen of democratic backsliding being ignored by conservatives. It's very, very worrying. Um, this extends to the U.S. also. The U.S. under the uh, Trump administration underwent a lot, a lot of democratic backsliding, and conservatives stood by him and did not try to stop it. And when we see this extended to other countries, when we see even support for people like uh, Le Pen, who's uh, running in uh, France right now, uh, by some conservatives who uh, want her to uh, become the president of France. That is very, very worrying that we are actively encouraging these 
conservative democratic backsliders to come into these countries and to try and uh, sort of uh, to uh, change them, to fold them in a way that helps uh, conservatives, and but you know, as a side effect of that, or maybe not even a side effect, maybe it's intended to uh, create them in an oligarchic way, to mold them in that form. That's that's really really worrying, that the U.S. government uh, or members of the U.S. government are trying to encourage this, and we even see among some more moderate Democrats, you know, uh, maybe they're not encouraging it to the same extent, but they're, they're complicit in the same way and that they're not actively trying to stop it. They are uh, still going to the state of the, or sorry, the, um, the speech given by President Herzog. They are still uh, supporting Israel, even as Israel crumbles underneath itself. And we really have to stop this uh, as soon as possible, uh, stop this sort of com complicity, complicity among these uh, U.S. Congress people. And to add on to all of this, to, as the, uh, the um, sort of uh, uh, layer of icing on the cake here, Netanyahu, who's 73, by the way, which isn't saying much since we have an 80-year-old president, Netanyahu was just hospitalized. And... <laughs> You look at the, the, the prime minister of a country that has nuclear weapons. This is a nuclear country we're talking about, Israel. And 73-year-old Netanyahu, who's trying to destroy democracy in his country, being able to lead this kind of a country without any concern. And, you know, this isn't the first time he's been hospitalized either. And so, really, even at a more fundamental level, the question of should this man be leading Israel really comes into question. And the answer is no, no. We, we shouldn't let somebody like Netanyahu lead one of our greatest allies. And um, it's, 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 really, it's really painful that it, is, it has come to this, that we are standing by whoever the prime minister of Israel is, whatever they do, even when, even when they're uh, someone like Netanyahu, who um, really just really isn't somebody that we should be supporting on any level ever. Um, but this is where we are, and uh, hopefully things will change for the better. Hopefully some U.S. Congress people will come to their senses. But uh, in the meantime, that's what's going on right now in Israel. Next, the, uh, the Hollywood strike, uh, the Screen Actors Guild, has uh, officially gone on strike uh, and it's gotten support from major TV celebrities. These include Matt Damon, George Clooney, and uh, Jessica Chastain. And this comes on top of the TV writer strike that happened uh, just um, just a couple weeks ago. I think is when that started. Um, but uh, this is this is really really uh, empowering to see that um, these uh, TV writers and actors um, are taking into their hands uh, their, their own paychecks. They're not going to let uh, these, these corrupt businesses that run Hollywood uh, you know, force them to make deals that they don't want to make, force them to uh, 
you know, forced them essentially was under a living wage uh, and uh, forced them to not make money off their own uh, intellectual property that they helped make. And um, just a little rundown on this. So uh, corporations have stopped making these fair deals to writers and actors. And uh, right now, the way this works is that uh, streaming platforms that air old content uh, unlike how this may work on a TV show where every single rerun, writers and actors continue to get paid for that. You're not seeing that with streaming platforms. It doesn't matter if somebody continues watching it over. You get one paycheck every time you work on a thing, and that's it. And that is not enough money for these TV writers and actors, especially if uh, their project gains a lot of momentum after it releases. Oh, you know, too bad. Too bad, so sad. Uh, no more money for you is essentially what uh, these TV executives are saying. And, you know, pe people like Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, clinging to their money, absolutely clinging. Uh, they don't want to in any way pay their own employees a fair, decent living wage. And they would rather see uh, their own pockets get lined than try and actually help uh, the employees that uh, work for them, that work for these companies like Disney, that work for NBC Universal, that work for Warner Brothers, uh, they would rather keep all that money to themselves. Uh, and, you know, th this is, of course, the way that capitalism functions. This is incentivized by the way that the system has been set up. But it's still, it's still really sad when you see it uh, in action these kind of uh, CEOs taking uh, what is not rightfully theirs, you know, as, as if it was rightfully theirs. And it's, it's, it's really, really sad. Um, and another effect of the strike has been that uh, a lot of projects have been stopped, obviously, uh, as part of the way that strikes function. And uh, this is positive and negative. You know, obviously, we as consumers, we want more content, we want TV, we want uh, movies, uh, you know, two major movies just released uh, two, three days ago. So, you know, I, I don't think we're really going to be um, in, in too much of a hurry for the, ne the next couple of months. But afterward, once we, you know, get through the movie rush of November, once we're past the Oscars, once we're in January, Febru February, and we're not really seeing any new movies pop up, uh, I think that might put an extra level of strain on uh, on the strike. And so hopefully uh, we can, or hopefully that will be resolved before uh, the sort of uh, November wave of movies. Once we get down uh, into the Oscars, once that's all finished, hopefully by that point, uh, writers and CEOs will have, and uh, actors will have reached an agreement and uh, uh, writers and actors will be able to be paid uh, a decent wage for the work that they uh, help to create every single day. So that's that's Hollywood. Finally, uh, the the No Labels Party, which was founded by former senator and 2000 vice presidential nominee Joe Lieberman. Uh, this party has suggested that in 2024 they may uh, bring forward a candidate to run against. Uh, presumptively uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. 
And so you may say, oh, who's that going to be? Well, the leading contender right now is West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. Of course, the most moderate out of the, out of, uh, the entire uh, Democratic Party, maybe even out of the entire Congress. And um, he's made a lot of news over the past two years, really, um, from uh, blocking at every single turn uh, President Biden's uh, agenda. And this was really worrying when we only held the Senate by one vote. He was essentially that one vote that could tip either way. And so we had to make concession after concession after concession to Joe Manchin. But uh, it's, it's not enough, really. It's, it's, not, it's not enough for him. He wants more. He wants, he wants to become the president. And uh, he, he, he may end up running under Joe Lieberman's party, uh, his, his third party, which, by the way, uh, in the history of the United States, uh, no real third party has won the presidency since the collapse of the, you know, the Federalist Party and the, uh, the, the Democratic uh, re Republicans back in, you know, what was that, like 1830s, before that. Um, and it's, it's, really, it's really crazy that uh, this is happening right now. Um, and uh, that, you know, people like Joe Manchin are even considering this, considering how much influence they have and how, you know, that spoiler effect that they'll most likely create could just lead to Donald Trump coming right back into the White House. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um, but uh, there are a couple other uh, people that are being considered. Um, uh, former Governor Larry Hogan and uh, 2012, uh, um, uh, 2012 uh, um, candidate for president, uh, John Huntsman, are both being considered to run. Or maybe they'll be uh, a vice presidential nominee under somebody like Manchin. Uh, all of those are options. All of those are possibilities. Either way, any of these people, they're all going to take away independents who otherwise would have voted for Joe Biden. Um, and meanwhile, while uh, you know people like Joe Lieberman and Joe Manchin have really been complaining about nothing, Joe Biden has actually been getting things done. You know, he has passed all of these giant bills, and every single one of them has been curtailed just to fit with exactly what people like Joe Manchin want, and yet. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, Joe Manchin doesn't care. He wants he wants it in for himself, and so uh, you know, even even every single major bill having amendments in it to fit, you know, his policy, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. Once West Virginia uh, is pushed uh, above the rest of the country in terms of our uh, priorities, it's not enough. You know, he wants to be the president, and so yeah. Um, there is, there is, there is one, uh, one theory that brings me, brings me hope, though, and that's the idea that this may all just be a big sham, right? The idea that if Joe Manchin does run, he's not really going to run. He'll, he'll run for a couple months, and then he'll run for his Senate seat. And the reason that that's a theory is that right now he's a really competitive uh, governor of West Virginia who's going to run against him, doing really, really well right now. Um, Jim Justice, which, by the way, if you have like anyone with that name, uh, you're almost certain to become, you know, governor, senator of something. Uh, Jim Justice is going to run against him, and almost certainly going to be that nominee. And so, uh, the idea is to court to some of that, some of those West Virginia voters 
if he runs for president first and yells and complains about Joe Biden, he'll bring some of those votes back to his side, away from Jim, Jim Justice. And then, once he has that out of the way, he'll drop out and he'll run for Senate. And so that's the theory. Uh, is it a good theory? Uh, I don't know. There's a chance it's a good theory, but there's also a chance that we could be completely wrong about any of this. You know, the way Washington works, uh, theories pop up all the time. You know, I say about half of them are right, half of them are wrong on average. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how this plays out. Technically, Joe Manchin isn't running for anything right now. And so, you know, maybe he just won't even run at all for president. Um, and he'll, the entire time, focus on the Senate, although that seems increasingly and increasingly less likely as time goes on. Um, and uh, another thing about Joe Lieberman here, who founded this party, is that he doesn't even really know what the point of any of this is. He complains and complains about Joe Biden, but he doesn't actually have any real reasons for complaining. He hasn't been able to materialize any sort of point to this party. And so more and more, this seems like sort of a, the job of a political hack who doesn't really have anything left to do with his life and, you know, uh, is sort of uh, trying to make a meaningful impact to make Washington more purple. But really all he's doing is creating a spoiler He's creating the, the Ralph Nader, if you will, of 2024. And um, it can only really go downhill from here uh, when you look at you know, uh, what Joe Lieberman is trying to accomplish, which is nothing. He's trying to accomplish nothing. He just wants to, uh, he just wants to you know, fill his, his time with something. And so he's going to complain about Joe Biden, even though policy-wise, Joe Biden has been uh, very moderate, has courted... You know, he's been more progressive than previous presidents, but you know, not to the degree that many actual progressives would like. And you know, up until now, when Joe Manchin and uh, Joe Biden have been fighting side by side, you know, to turn against him for this sort of petty reason of keeping your Senate seat, it's it's it is kind of worrying. But um, on all that, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, for now, this has been. Populist perspective. I'm Tomas Rightcats. We'll see you in two weeks. Uh, that's it. Good night.